Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. For God, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in these in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You may sit down. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Greetings in Christ's name this morning. One of the fears that I have for the church in our day and age is our perspective on God and on sin. We come up with our own definition of sin, making sin not what it really is. We make sin not as severe as it really is. We accept it into our life as just a struggle or a weakness that we have. Maybe if our view of sin isn't correct, our view of God isn't correct as well. We don't view God as a holy God. And that God and sin don't mix. Maybe we think that when we sin, even just a little sin, in quotes, God just winks at it. He just brushes it with his hand and says, no big deal. This morning, I want to speak about the wages of sin and the gift of God, the seriousness of sin and what it brings forth, and the blessings that God bestows upon those who are a servant to him. In verse 23, we can see three contrasting pairs that is given to us here. There is the wages and there is gift. We see sin and God, and there is death and eternal life. Three pairs that are totally opposite. Just a little summary up to verse 23, the first six chapters of Romans. Um, first three chapters of Romans, Paul talks about sin and how both Jew and Gentiles are guilty. They are inexcusable, like he says in chapter 2. He says in chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it is because of the law that makes us guilty before God. In chapters 4 and 5, he talks about how it is by faith, by believing in God, having complete trust in Him. That is what counts 
unto us for righteousness. That it is not by works that makes us justified, but by believing in God. How God gave us a free gift of grace to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. Then Paul finishes in chapter 5 by saying, Because of the law, sin is made more obvious. Sin is unmasked. It is uncovered. But in spite of sin abounding in our lives, grace did much more abound. In chapter 6, Paul starts out by asking a question. Shall we continue in sin? Shall we keep on sinning that we can experience more grace, that we can receive the free gift of God's grace? He answers his question by saying, God forbid, certainly not. How can we who die to sin live any longer therein? We are baptized. We are buried in Christ at his death. We are also raised again with him. This is a picture of the power of sin in our own lives. When we died with Christ, sin died too. We crucified the old man. The power of sin is done away with. It is defeated. But when we are resurrected by the power of God, just like Christ, we are able to walk in newness of life. We are become a new man. We no longer serve sin, but we have yielded ourselves to holiness. We are become servants of righteousness. That brings us to verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I want to look a little bit at the three different contrasting pairs that we see in this verse. The first pair that I want to look at is sin and God. Who are the masters in um, the verse 23? Who are the ones that are controlling us? And he talks about being a master or serving in the previous verses. It is sin and God. They are the ones controlling us. They are the ones that are the masters. Sin in this verse is not necessarily something that we do. It is not an action, but it is one that is a master. One who is control of another. We can see different times in this chapter how sin is the master. Um, verse 7 Freed from sin. Verse 12, sin reigning in our mortal bodies. Verse 14, sin having dominion over us. And verse 16, 19, and 20, it says people are servants of sin. And then verse 22, it says be made free from sin. In the life of Paul, um, slavery was common in that day. We don't know much about slavery in our day. But like I said, in Rome, it was a big deal. There were many people who had slaves, and possibly some of them were even in the church. What do we think about when we think about slavery? And as we list off some of these characteristics, think about sin and God being the master. Slaves are bought with a price. Slaves were sold to their masters in the slavery markets. There was a price to be paid to own a slave. Um, slaves belonged to someone. That was another characteristic. 
they belonged to someone. Once a slave was bought at a marketplace, they then belonged to their new master. They didn't belong to another master. They belonged to the master who bought them. The slaves were slaves to only one master. They were not slaves to two masters. They belonged to only one person. Another characteristic is slaves are controlled by someone. The slave's master controlled their slaves. The slaves did what their master wanted them to do. They didn't do anything outside of their master's wishes. They were controlled by their masters. Sin and God are the masters in this verse. They are the ones driving. They are the ones controlling their servants. So we need to ask a question, what is sin? What makes sin a sin? And what is the wage that he gives? The definition of sin that is given in Scripture gives the idea of missing the mark. There is a fixed point that I was aiming at, but I missed it. That is what is sin. What is the mark that we are aiming at? What is the bullseye? We sing the song, Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. I believe part of hitting the mark is being more Christ-like. I'm going to read some of the verses to that song. Oh, to be like the blessed Redeemer. This is my constant longing prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Oh, to be like thee, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Oh, to be like thee, lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. Then the chorus, oh, to be like thee, oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, pure as thou art. Come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, Stamp thine own image deep on my heart. When we sin, we fall short of being like Christ. We miss the mark. I think another picture of the mark that we are aiming at is in keeping the law of God. 1 John 3, 4 says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. Sin is the transgression of the law. In the SV, it says that sin is lawlessness. It's living a life of having no law in your life. Sin is also rebellion, rebellion against God, not listening to the voice of the Lord. When Samuel told Saul, what the Lord told him about going to destroy the Amalek. Saul sinned by not doing all that the Lord commanded, by keeping alive the king, the best, the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and the lambs, and all that was good. Saul kept these animals so that he could use them to sacrifice to the Lord their God. 
Notice as I read the verse in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, notice what Samuel tells Saul about rebellion. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Rebellion against God is considered the same as witchcraft. In, Deut in Deuteronomy 18, before the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, God told them that witchcraft shall not be found among them, because it is an abomination unto the Lord. Rebellion against God is an abomination to the Lord. It is a disgusting thing. Sin originated with Lucifer when he rebelled against God. A created being, Lucifer, now known as Satan, was wanting to be like God. Ever since that time, he has been tempting us to be like God. And I believe when we sin, when we go against God's plan in our life, that is exactly what we are doing. We are trying to be like God. We are trying to be God. It is I who call the shots. I am the one who makes the rules. Some other facts about sin that we can see in Scripture and sin as a master. Sin is like a crouching beast awaiting, waiting to pounce into our hearts. In the story of Cain and Abel, Cain was jealous of Abel and how God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. And I want you to notice what God told Cain about sin in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt not be if thou doest well, thou shalt not be accepted. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. The temptations that we get from within us, if not dealt with, will become sin. Sin comes from within, from our heart. Just like God said to Cain. Sin defiles, it pollutes, it makes a soul black with guilt. Matthew fifteen eighteen and 20, it says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with, un with unwashing hands defileth not a man. Sin defiles, it pollutes, it makes a soul black with guilt. Sin also is passed down to every single person. It doesn't matter what for status that person is born into. He is born with the sin nature. 
David says in Psalms 51, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul says in Romans 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is no exception. And in Romans 5 it says, Wherefore has by one, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And this is referring to Adam in the Garden of Eden. It was the sin of Adam and Eve that the entire human race had the death penalty over them because of the sin. Sin brings Satan's control over a person's life. 1 John 3.8 says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And I believe that happened in the life of Judas Iscariot. That when he was living a life of greed, Satan entered into his heart. Also, in the life of Ananias, there in Acts, when he wasn't being honest about the price of land he sold, Peter told him that Satan filled his heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. Sin is a slave master. It is sin that controls those who are a servant to it. Let's look at the wage that sin gives. And I think one thing is very important here. We need to find or think of the difference between a wage and gift. And I want to do that right now. A wage is something that you earn. You deserve it because of what you do. When you get a wage, it brings justice. In other words, it is something that is fair and reasonable because of what you did. I'm planning on getting a check from Shank Door this coming Friday, and that is because of the doors that I installed the last two weeks. This is something that I earned because of what I did. And you could say that I deserved the check. On the other hand, a gift. A gift is something that is given to you. There was nothing that you needed to do to get this gift. You didn't work for it. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn the gift. If you worked for the gift, if you deserved it, if you earn the gift, it is not a gift anymore. It is therefore a wage. Sin doesn't pay wages for those who are a servant to God. Slave master's sin pays wages only to his servants. The same is true for God. God never gives wages to his servants, to God's servants. He only gives gifts to those who trust in him. What is the wage that sin gives us? Sin is the giver of wages. Before we became Christians, our view of Christianity was being bound by laws and things that we need to do 
for not doing things that our flesh would like to do. In our fleshly carnal minds, to commit a sin is what we thought was a gift to us, not as a wage. That is because sin was our slave master. He was driving us. He was controlling us to do what he wants us to do. And when we think about sin, sin is something that is very deceptive. Every time that a person sins, he's, he is being deceived, just like Adam and Eve were deceived in the Garden, garden of Eden. Words like, has God said, is it really the truth? And you will become wise when you take of this fruit. Those are the lies we believe when we commit sin. Sin demands from us every single day. And he keeps on demanding from us until he has our entire life. He does this little bit at a time. Notice what sin does in Romans 6.19. For as ye have yielded your members to servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity. Or in the ESV it says lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Sin has a snowball effect. If you roll a sm small snowball, it'll get bigger and bigger. When you're a slave to the master, sin, you will continue on sinning. And you will sin more and more. And it will never stop until you change your master. Sin takes the life out of, out of you. And when it takes the life out of you, you expect a wage from it. And that is exactly what you expect at your job. And when I work at Shank Door, working at Shank Door takes up my time and energy to work there. And because of that, I expect a wage at the end of the week to make up for the things that I've lost doing my job. But in the next two weeks, I do it all over again. I work and lose my life for the job and expect a wage at the end. When we serve the slave master's sin, it also takes a spiritual life out of us, and we want a wage as well. This is the price that is paid to be a servant to sin. We pay the price with our very life. That is a price that is paid our life. When we are controlled by sin, it is like being controlled by alcohol or drugs. When people use these things, it makes them feel good. They forget about the life that they are living. But when it wears off, they look for more. Sin feels good at the moment. But when it wears off, it makes us feel empty and ashamed. And then we look for the next paycheck by sinning some more. This is the wage of sin. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look at God, the master of his servants, and the gifts that he gives. 
God is our creator. And we know that God made all things. He made all people. He made all the angels. And he made Satan. Since God made all things, he therefore owns us. Because God owns us, should we not allow him to be our slave master? But even though God created all things, people are turning away from him, denying God as a creator and also their slave master. They are turning to the slave master's sin and rebelling and rejecting against God. Because of sin that entered into the world in the Garden of Eden, we all have the sin nature, just like I said, when we were born, and we are serving sin. But because of God's great love toward us, he made provisions to buy us back. There was a price to be paid. Those who place their trust in Jesus Christ, those who are a servant to God, are bought back with a price. We belong to God. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are now a servant to God. Romans six nineteen, Paul tells those who are servants of God to yield their bodies to be servants of righteousness unto holiness. I believe as servants of God, we should strive for holiness in our lives. Since we are free from sin, it should be evident by the fruit that we are servants of God. That fruit is holiness. There should be a sanctifying work in our lives. Are we perfect? No, but don't allow that perfect imperfection in your life to hinder you to allow God to sanctify you more and more. Let's look at the holiness of God. In order for us to get a grasp of sin, we need to look at the holiness of God. And I think we will never in this life fully understand the devastation of sin in our lives or in our world and the holiness of God and the price that he needed to pay to, to redeem us. But I trust and hope that this study can give us a small glimpse of what it means. So what does it mean that God is holy? The holiness of God refers to the unparalleled majesty of his incomparable being and his blameless, faultless, unblemished moral purity. He is faultless. He is unblemished. He is pure. There is no sin at all in his life, nor will there be ever any sin in his life. I think a good picture of God's holiness can be found in Isaiah 6. I want to read the first seven verses. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. 
Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, and having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with a thong from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. This passage is a picture of a scene in the very presence of the Lord. The seraphims that are mentioned have six wings. Two of those wings are used to cover their face, another two of their feet. The reason why they do that is because of the holiness, because of the majesty of the king, the Lord of hosts. Even Isaiah, a frail human being that he was, who was marred by sin and lived among imperfect people, said that he was undone when he saw the king. The word undone means to be ruined, to be cut off from any connection with God because of his sinfulness. These seraphims are crying out day and night, as we see in Revelation 4, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, of, the, is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These angels are chanting this on and on because he is worthy of their praise. Notice the chant where the emphasis is on. It is on the word holy. When the Jewish writers repeated something like that, it spoke of the condition that they were writing about. In this case, it describes how holy God is. They could have said, holy is the Lord of hosts. But that wouldn't have given us a good picture of the holiness of God if they would have said it only once. The holiness of God is the only characteristic of God that is repeated like that. That is repeated three times. For example, nowhere in the Bible do you read of mercy, mercy, mercy is God, or that God is love, love, love. Holiness is the only time that it repeats itself like that. God is a holy God, and he cannot mix with sin. Sin separates from God. And just a couple of verses speaking of that. Deuteronomy 31, 17, and 18. Then my anger shall be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them, and I will hide my face from them, and they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Are not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face, and I will surely hide my face in that day for all the evils which they shall have wrought. In that, they are turned unto other gods. Because of sin, God will forsake them. He will hide his face from them. Also, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed to those who commit sin. 
We may wonder sometimes, why does God need to deal so harshly with sin? There are, in our eyes, a lot of good people in this world that do a lot of good for our community and so forth. But if God wouldn't deal with sin so harshly, if he wouldn't separate himself from sin, he would be unjust. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a fair trial. It is right the way that he deals with sin, all sin. Let's look at God's gift. God is a giver of gifts only to those who are his servants. And he only gives gifts. In chapter 5, Paul says that it is a free gift. The gift that God gives is free. There's nothing that we need to do to receive the gift that God gives when we make God our slave master. We didn't earn it. In fact, the exact opposite is true. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but he gives it to us. He doesn't demand things from us. If there are strings attached to the gift, to receive the gift, then it isn't a free gift anymore. He doesn't demand things from us. And I don't think that he will ever cease in giving gifts to his servants. Even throughout all eternity, he will give us gifts. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, it says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. This is the gift that we have received even now, but we'll also receive it throughout all of eternity. Every single morning, we will experience the mercy of God. Let's look at the next contrasting pair that we see in this verse. Um, the wage or the end result of those who are servants of sin and those who are servants of God. Let's look at the wage of serving the master sin. And we see the wage is death. What is meant by death? We are all going to die. There are people that we know who have died already. Are they receiving their wage of sin? Revelation 20, it tells us what death is. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Also in Revelation 21.8, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Death that it is referring to in Romans is being thrown into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This fire is an everlasting punishment. 
for those who are a servant of sin. It will go on and on. It will never stop. I had said that sin is the one who gives the weight. But sin is so deceptive. We, when we are a slave to master sin, we feel that sin is the one who gives the weight. But at the end, at the end of life, when God makes all things right, He is the one who will get the final wage. And this is what we deserve. We all, every single one of us, deserve the final wage that God gives those who are the servant of sin. Every single one of us deserves that. But the story doesn't stop there. Praise God. He has given a gift to those who have received it. Let's look at the gift that God <clears throat> gives. <clears throat> the gift that God gives is eternal life. What is eternal life? Does it mean living forever? If it means just that, that would mean every single person has eternal life. Some in the lake of fire and some in heaven. But we know that's not what it is. Eternal life is life real and genuine. A life active and vigorous, devoted to God, and a life that is blessed. Eternal life is not about the length of time as much as it is about the quality of life. Eternal life is living life to the fullest. This eternal life that is given starts here on this earth and will continue on throughout all of eternity. John 17.3 tells us what eternal life is. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternal life is to know God and also Jesus Christ. God is revealed to us through his Son, Jesus Christ. To know God is having a knowledge and one who knows and believes in the truth of his word. There is a difference between those living in eternity in the lake of fire and from those in heaven. Those in the lake of fire will forever be cut off will be ruined, will suffer from death and decay for all of eternity. They will also be separated from God, the very one who created the world, who created them and gave them life to live. Those in heaven will forever experience life to the fullest. They will know God and his Son, and they will be forever with them, experiencing their presence. And I think that last phrase is the key, the difference between those living in eternity in hell and those in heaven. Being cut off or being forever in the presence of God. And I think the last phrase in verse 23 is probably about one of the most important phrases. If we miss this phrase, we will get it all wrong. In order to get the gift of God eternal life. It is only through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not through our own works. 
It's not what we've done, but it's in what Jesus did and the work that he's done on the cross. That's how we receive the gift. There are so many different religions in our world. And I believe each one of those religions, in their own different ways, and whether they know it or, or not, is trying to reach God, their creator. But all these religions have one slave master, and that is sin. And they will all funnel down into one spot, and that is death. They are all servants to sin. This message is for everyone, but in order to be able to receive the free gift, it needs to be through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the only way back to God. And I think it's neat that Paul repeated this phrase at the end of chapter 5 as well in, here in chapter 6. That is through eternal life, that eternal life is by Jesus Christ. Do you, do I know Jesus? Do we believe? Do we fully trust in him that he is enough for our sin problem? That he can make our path right? That he can guide us back to God? What are you seeking for? Are you looking for a wage from sin? Who is your, who is your master? Or are you looking for the gift from God whom you serve? And we can ask a question, what does your life tell you or tell those around you? Do people see a work of sanctification in your life? Are you allowing God to mold and shape you to be more like Christ? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can kneel to pray.